0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. You're listening to the Financials Edition, taped today on Monday, April 24th, 2017. My name is Gabby LaPera, and joining me on Skype is Jordan Wathan, an exotic financials expert. Hey, Jordan, how's it going?
1: Hi, Gabby. I like the intro. Uh, Exotic financials expert.
0: I just realized that that sounds way more risque than what I actually meant, which is that you know a lot about weird financial businesses, like businesses that have strange structures and esoteric ways of making money, which is what today's show is about, which is why I introduced you as an exotic financials expert. (laughs) Um, But anyway, today we're going to be talking about um, alternative asset managers. If you are already lost, that is totally okay. We're going to do our best to explain everything, or really at least something. Um, because Today's question is actually based on on some feedback that we got from a listener at the University of Chicago. Uh, I forgot to ask his permission to use his name, so we won't, but thank you so much for the great questions. Good luck with your junior year. That is always a long, hard slog. Um, This is what the listener had to say. I wanted to hear your thoughts on investing in alternative asset management firms, i.e. Oaktree, KKR, Blackstone. Many have claimed that these firms are trading at a discount for a number of reasons. Their business models and financial statements are egregiously difficult to understand, frustrating many retail and institutional investors. There's a drastic variability in yearly results, and profitability is highly dependent on assets under management. My answer to you is yes, yes, and yes. Um, (laughs) Let's backtrack first. Alternative asset managers are confusing, so let's start at the beginning. What is an alternative asset manager? Jordan, to you.
1: So to put it very simply, an alternative asset manager is an asset manager or a manager that manages alternative assets. So I guess the more important <laughs> thing is what is an alternative asset. And I guess the the best description is that alternative assets are something that the average Joe isn't likely to own as part of their portfolio. So think things like private equity or venture capital or distressed debt, for example.
0: Yeah. And, and it also includes stuff like real estate um, if it's not just your house or certain collectible stuff um, like artwork, but that that tends to be very, very exotic.
1: <laughs> right I shouldn't forget about artwork. Um, <laughs> I guess when you think about alternative assets, there's really two things that sets them apart. The first thing is that they're illiquid. they're you know they take time to buy and sell. So the strategies that these managers use take time to generate returns. So for example, Blackstone might buy a private company for one of its funds and then hold that company for 7 or 10 years before it sells the company and distributes the profits to its investors. Um, a distressed debt fund, for example, might buy debt with the goal of taking control of a company in bankruptcy, which is a long slog, and, You know, it's just a nasty process and it takes time to generate returns that way too. So these funds typically have a lockup period in which investors can't access their money for 5 or even 10 years. And actually, there's been some effort by the Blackstones of the world to extend this lockup period for as long as 15 or 20 years.
0: That is a long time, especially for your average investor, which kind of brings me to my next point, which is that generally, it's not your average investor who's giving money to these alternative asset managers, right? It's super wealthy individuals or families, pension funds, and am I forgetting someone? I feel like I am.
1: Uh, Well, pension funds, state governments, colleges... uh, you know, the Ivy League schools, they have you know probably like a quarter trillion dollars combined between all of them. Um they're major investors in this kind of world. and the the real big commonality with all their investors is that they're generally tax-free. So the managers who manage this money can invest differently because their investors don't care about whether or not the returns are long-term capital gains or short-term capital gains. It really doesn't matter because they're not paying taxes anyway,
0: yeah. so um, the next question I think would be is how do they make money? Which as we've kind of answered it depends on the asset manager because they might specialize in different things. So for example, Blackstone specializes in private equity, but it also does some real estate and hedge fund solutions.
1: Right. So Blackstone's really known for private equity, but their hedge fund solutions business has grown really big and to define that, it's basically a fund of funds. So someone comes to Blackstone with a billion dollars and they say, we want to invest in the world's best hedge funds, help us find them. And then they take a small cut um, in doing that. So there's really a bunch of different ways that they can make money. And as we talk about that, the big difference with alternative asset managers is that the fee structures are different. So if we look at the world of mutual funds, a company like T. Rowe Price, which manages billions upon billions of dollars, it manages them in traditional mutual funds, things that you and I might own, not private equity funds, whatever. And it earns just a simple 1% or 0.8% management fee on the assets it manages, and that's it. Al- alternative asset managers, on the other hand, their funds are structured so they get a management fee plus incentive fees when they generate returns in excess of a hurdle rate. So the investor might want 8% a year, and beyond that, the uh, fund company, if they generate 10% a year, they'll get 20% of that upside. Yeah. The 8% over. Yeah. Or the 10% over 8%, rather.
0: Exactly. Um, So, um, listeners, what you might be hearing is that these asset managers make money in two different ways. One is through the fees, um, which sometimes are dependent on assets under management and a bunch of other things. Um, The other thing that they might make money on is their actual investments. So, hopefully, they're investing in such a way that they're actually creating profit. Um, But when you talk about investing in an asset management firm, Um, like I said, you're probably not talking about actually giving your money to the asset management firm, you're talking about buying stock in the asset management firm. Um, So So, so Generally,
1: these companies, um, say Oaktree Capital Group, for example, they manage something like $100 billion of assets. And they also have about one and a half billion dollars, give or take, that's invested in their funds. But for the most part, the big earnings driver, of course, is the fees they generate on the hundred billion, rather than the 1.5 billion of their own capital that they manage.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, so I think the next question that we want to ask is, um, oh, so so just to go back to the, the original question that was asked by the listener. Um, so as you guys have seen. These firms can be very difficult to understand because they they're investing in a type of asset that is not really all that commonplace. So you have to understand a little bit about the asset in order to even decode their balance sheet or their income statement. Um, and then the second part of that question is that there can be drastic variability in yearly results um, and that the profitability is highly dependent on assets under management. So when, you are looking at maybe investing in one of these firms. What are some of the things that you should look for? And I think that the best way to do this is to pick one since they're all so different from each other um, and kind of dig in. And I think Jordan and I, we talked about doing Oak Tree.
1: Yeah. So, so the important thing that you have to remember when you invest in the asset management company is that it's really only as good as its funds are an asset manager that runs a bad fund won't be in business very long, especially not charging, you know, one and a half percent on assets plus 20% incentive fees. It just, you know, the world doesn't want to invest in an underperforming underperforming fund that charges an above average fee. So one way to get a really good idea of how a business like Oaktree is performing is to look at the balance sheet and actually look at an item. It's called net accrued incentives. And this reflects how much Oaktree will receive an incentive income from its funds. Basically, that it earns for generating good performance minus any bonus compensation that it owes its employees as a result of those returns so over time what you'd really like to see is that this net incentive income or this accrued incentive income increases over the course of time
0: yeah is there is there ever a, this is increased too much
1: no there's, there's no such thing as <laughs> it's increasing too much if anything that would you know mark something like a cyclical peak so if let's say tomorrow the debt markets fall out, is going to raise tens of billions of dollars and put it to work almost immediately. And within the next couple of years, the economy recovers, whatever, you would see that incentive co- income would come up. And then over time, as those funds are liquidated, they would pay off their investors, and then the money would come back to them for generating those superior returns
0: and that's so a really, if anything,
1: you know, you have ebbs and flows in it, but no, there's no such thing as too much.
0: yeah. And that's actually a really good point that you just made is that it is a very cyclical business, much like the financial markets at large. But the interesting thing about alternative asset managers is that they often tend to do well when the market is doing poorly because they kind right. of act as hedge funds.
1: Right, so Oaktree has a reputation for being the company that doesn't want to attract assets just to attract assets, right? If Oaktree gives you a call and they say, hey, we're raising a new distressed debt fund, it's because they see opportunities or they see a world in which they will have opportunities in the next few years. And because of that, they're one of the few asset managers that even runs $100 billion or more, but they're part of that select group that can really make a phone call and raise $10 billion overnight, and I mean that almost literally because they earned that credibility with investors and because their returns have been so good over time.
0: Yeah, I think the other thing to look at when you're investing in alternative asset managers is who the management is, because that can make a huge difference. And in Oaktree, it's definitely noticeable.
1: Right, because, well, they just have this company culture that their investor comes first and the shareholders will be taken care of before that. And actually, if you look at Oaktree's balance sheet, you'll see that it has about $6 a share and net accrued incentives that it's earned from these funds because it it calls money when it, it it actually sees good opportunities, not just because you know it wants to raise a fund and charge more management fees. It's it's just not that kind of business.
0: Yeah, and for that you really have to trust that the management knows what it's doing. Um, if you don't trust the management of an alternative asset manager, don't invest in them. It doesn't matter how lucrative it looks; just don't do it because you fundamentally disagree with how it's being run.
1: No, I, I completely agree with that.
0: Yeah. Um, so. We talked a little bit about what alternative asset managers are, how they make money, different revenue streams, um, things that should look good on their income sheet. Are there any or income statement or balance sheet, ten K, ten Q financial statements in general? <laughs> um, is there anything that you would look at and be like, this is a huge red flag for an for an asset manager?
1: Well, one thing that, and I think this extends across any business, financial or otherwise, but truly great businesses they have pricing power. And that means they can raise prices or at least control prices to some extent. So for example, if Warren Buffett tomorrow stepped down from Berkshire Hathaway and he said, I'm going to raise a $5 billion stock fund and become a hedge fund manager again, he would have no problem finding investors at 2%, 2 and 20, the typical fee structure. I bet he'd even have a line out the door at 3 and 30. There's actually a company by the name of Renaissance, Tech, Renaissance Technologies. It runs something called the Medallion Fund. It's the most legendary hedge fund of all time. It charges 5% on assets plus 44% of returns. The fees are ridiculous, but the returns are so good, no one cares, right? If you earn 20% after fees, you don't care what the fees are. It just doesn't matter. So while investment fees are generally coming down, good asset managers should be able to hold the line or at least you know slow the slow the the freefall I guess trend towards lower fees
0: <laughs> yeah and part of the reason for that trend towards lower fees is actually um, in a in an alternative asset management adjacent field which is the ETFs and the mutual funds and the index funds you're seeing uh, fees go down really really fast in those areas because of the like automatically generated nature of these like companies like Vanguard um, are kind of Pushing for lower fees because it doesn't make sense in a lot of cases for an S and P 500 ETF, for example, to have a one percent management fee. That that doesn't make sense. You're just taking all the companies that are in the S and P 500. You're not guessing or anything, and putting them into an index fund. Um, And so I think that you're seeing this kind of widespread fee lowering. And it's also the other thing is the power of information. Now that consumers have the internet, they can just go and. See what the fees are on other um, other funds, and just be like, you know what, I'm not going to pay 1% when I can pay 0.05% for this other fee, you know?
1: No, this actually that extends. I mean, it's the exact same thing that's going on in traditional asset managers. I mean, if a mutual fund manager could promise me that they're going to beat the S&P 500 by 2% a year, I'd happily pay 1.75% a year in expenses, and you know, take the quarter point extra return, and I'd take it. You know what I mean? No one's going to complain about that. But if the returns aren't there and you're charging a higher fee, you, you won't be in business very long. And ETFs are and all these passive funds for that matter are really just taking more and more share for that reason.
0: Yeah, which is why as we circle back to the alternative asset managers, they are able to t- charge higher fees because in theory they're making more than the return on the S&P 500.
1: Right, the, they're generating superior returns and they're also working harder for it. So OakTree when it invests in when it takes a dist- dist- distressed debt fund and starts raising money for it and then starts investing it they're going to have to go through bankruptcy courts all this stuff to take control of these companies it's a long slog it takes money and it takes capital and it takes geniuses you know to figure out these opportunities so that's what you're paying for in theory
0: yeah um, okay i think that we set out to and we we set out to cover a bunch of things. I think that we've covered them, listeners. If I'm wrong, go ahead and write me an email at industryfocus@fool.com and I'm happy to talk about this again. This is probably a topic that can span multiple episodes, but I promise to give you all a break in between them. So for people who don't like alternative asset managers, I don't even know if you're still listening. If you're not, just know, you have a choice not to listen to the podcast when it's about something boring. I had someone write to me the other day and they're like, why do you cover such boring things sometimes? I'm like, why do you listen to the podcast when you think it's boring? Just skip that episode, go to the next one.
1: <laughs> right. It's hard to make financial stocks truly you know, something that looks great. People yeah. aren't drawn to them by nature.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think we're fascinating. So, you know.
1: (laughs) Of course. I mean, I'm not biased or anything, but I'd say so, too.
0: Um, Okay, so question for you, Jordan. Would you invest in an alternative asset manager? Like, would you buy stock?
1: Yes. So, But that comes with a very big uh, caveat, that I wouldn't invest in most of them. So one of the problems with financial companies generally, and this extends from banking to asset management to alternative asset management, is that so many of them are actually run to maximize compensation for employees rather than profits for shareholders, right? Mm-hmm. So the shareholder, you know, they're, they're, they're at the bottom taking what's left over after everyone's taken their $2 million bonus. Um, as an exception to that rule, probably the one that I'm most interested in, I'm glad we talked about today was Oaktree. Um, I generally like it just as a business model. It's one of the few financial companies that gets better as the world gets worse, which is kind mm-hmm. of a nice diversi- diversification thing. And uh, early this year, I kind of put t- together a model for it and updated it prior to the show. And just valuing it two pieces, kind of the assets it owns and then the business as it stands, I think it's probably worth, I'm, I value it at about $53 per share. I think it's, it's kind of conservative. and. It, it's a stock that, if it traded a little bit lower, you know, I had to make a lot of assumptions to get to that valuation. <laughs> but if it traded a little bit lower, I'd be very interested in it.
0: Yeah, I actually also really like Oaktree, um, especially because the investor letters that they share are always really interesting. Um, a lot of really interesting investment knowledge in there, um, and I encourage listeners to go ahead and read those. They're, they're a pretty valuable resource. Um, as for me, if I would invest in alternative asset managers, They're currently not for me right now, mostly because I have no money, so you know I I can't actually invest in anything right now. Not until I have a little bit more money. Um, But even if I did have money, I think that I'm more interested in other types of stocks right now. But I wouldn't rule it out as a future investment.
1: Right. I I think timing is kind of important too. So a company like Blackstone, which makes a lot of money from private equity, its business gets better as the world gets better and the economy improves, and this late into an economic cycle, you know, I don't know if you want to hold a cyclical company like that if you want to be the buyer right now this late. Um, with Oak Tree, it's the opposite, right? They get better as distressed debt opportunities, uh, you know, come up. So that'd be a company that would get better as things get worse. So it's maybe more attractive this late in a cycle than something like a private equity company, for example.
0: Yeah. Oh, and I know that we're going to get an email now saying, like, I thought the fool said not to time the market. And it's true. You shouldn't time the market. But, um, it's one thing to be like, I'm going to time the market and do all this technical analysis. It's an, and it's another thing to be like, I think that the cycle's probably about here, and reasonably, I can assume that this is what the business will do if it goes this way or that way. Um, and if you're wrong, you can always just buy. If you really believe in the company, you know, just well, buy it, I mean, dollar cost really, average it. You know,
1: <laughs> it's it's not even really so much as like timing the market. It's really saying like, if I own Bank of America, I know that when the economy gets worse, when you know unemployment goes up, and say GDP drops for a few quarters or a year that their loan performance is going to be bad it's just going to you know they'll have more defaults they'll have more loan losses oak tree for example it's a company where it's going to make more money as things get get worse that's where it really shines so it's kind of a diversification if anything is yeah. that instead of buying maybe banks i want to own a little bit more of this alternative asset manager
0: yeah so i don't know maybe think about it for you think about which one you want to do do a lot of research to figure out what the company actually invests in and if it's a good idea and like what part of the cycle they benefit from and what the fee structures look like. Basically everything we talked about in this episode. I'm not going to say it all over again because we're running out of time. Um, As usual, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about and The Motley Fool may have recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Thank you very much for joining us, Jordan. That was, oh, was fun
1: Gabby I always enjoy it
0: I know I and I always really like it when we do like these kind of weird ones because I know that that's like right up your right up your alley right up your weird alley <laughs>
1: I get sucked in by complexity it's it's a disease really but <laughs> it makes it more fun
0: I think it's wonderful anyway contact us at industryfocus at fool.com or by tweeting us at MF industryfocus and let us know what you'd like to hear about next um, we obviously did the show based on a listener question we are always open for business. On that front, uh, thank you to Austin Morgan. I hope we didn't render you unconscious with that discussion about alternative asset managers. Um, Austin is today's producer, and thank you to y'all for joining us. Everyone have a great week.